I'm picturing Ray Renato or something. Now, Deborah! <laughs> Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about Jason Doty. And where is this one, Katie? This is in Tucson, Arizona. Who the hell's Jason Doty? I've lived here my whole life. I don't know him. I don't think he's a real person. I think you were just too young when this happened. Ah. And Christian. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. To be exposed to brutal murder in I the remember EGs. when the EG's murder happened. That's my favorite EG's. It was the only EG's on my side of town at that point. So is that what we're talking about today? Yes, we're, we're talking about murder. EG's murder. And other murders. Now, before we get into this episode, first of all, was it, it was recommended by somebody, right? Yes. Jason Doty? No, another Jason. <laughs> oh, different Jason. Different Jason. Jason Doty is dead now. But this Jason works at Southwest Kratom, which is here in Tucson. So if you guys take Kratom like I do, I highly re- recommend it. Get down there get into your k-hole i take it for migraines and i don't get migraines anymore so that's not true you get migraines all the time katie i used to get like four constant four to eight a month and i get four a month now (laughs) so also aside from that i think we should talk about what is an eg's because not everyone knows what an eg's i remember my first eg when i moved down here it was the drachman one right by pima Oh, right there by the downtown campus. Yeah. I might stop and get an EG That's on my way one. home with a meatball sub. You want to bring one back? No. They're only up until 10, I think. Oh, heartbreak. <laughs> Thy name is EGs. Yeah, you don't want the late night meatball sub anyways. No, that's the that's the bottom of the barrel that's meatball the sub. Early morning meatball sub. If you yeah, 11, me. 11.30 meatball sub. Anyways, EGs is a delicious uh, sandwich place. That also sells a... Shaved ice variant? I don't even it's, know what you would call it. You can't even describe it. It's better than any slushy out there. And uh, it is local only to Tucson. And Phoenix, I think, has a, a location now. Where's that place? Phoenix. Phoenix. Anyways, I just wanted to, you know, give everyone a little background there on what an EG's is because it's near and dear to me heart. Yeah, imagine a sandwich place that sells Kraft macaroni and cheese. <laughs> But you only go there to get a drink, and then what? you're like, oh, I'll get some food while I'm here anyways. Yeah, and they have crinkle fries. Those crinkle fries, when they're done, are And like the ranch crispy. is really good. They and make their, their own ranch, ranch. They make their own ranch. So you dip the fries in there, or you get a ranch fry with some bacon bits on top of it. It's not real bacon usually, though. Their ranch That's is true. delicious. Their food is not as delicious as it was pre-murder, I'm going to say. No, it all has like a crimey flavor to it. I think it's probably because they actually get robbed all the time. So they just, they don't want to put good food in there. Oh, you know what? I, I witnessed a carjacking in that parking lot yeah, when no, I first like, moved down here. Like a month ago, the one right down the street from us got robbed every day for a week. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. No, that's crazy. Where this was, that's crazy. Over on Ina? Is that where this one is? Yep, Ina and Thornydale. Yeah. Yeah, the northwest side one. What Technically was the, in Marana. Yeah, what was the name of the the Mexican restaurant Was that was in just a little further down? Was that a... Oh, Casa Molina, I think. I think it was a Casa Molina. I was in that parking lot, and someone took off and started screaming from fucking EG's and running across the parking lot as someone was driving this truck, screaming, Stop that truck! (laughs) Yeah, let me just step out in front of it for you, lady. Yeah, there's a Bookman's in that parking lot, too. Yep, 
And I love that Bookman's. So that is a good Bookman's. Tucson native things. Oh, yeah. No one probably knows what Bookman's <laughs> yeah. is either. Yeah, or Casa Molina. Those are three Tucson-only things. That's crazy. We used to get to sing Casa Molina, Casa Molina, la da 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 My dad used to go there for endless margaritas or something. Or, like, they, they'd give you a... A half pitcher, a 32-ounce pitcher of margaritas. <laughs> they still do that. Do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ring, ring. Hello? Hey, sport. I need a ride. <laughs> no. Uh, For a while during COVID, I'm pretty sure they were doing takeout margaritas. Damn. They would make a bucket. See, I, I wish I liked drinking more. Anyway, we're, we're off topic. Local Tucson things. So you want to go ahead and uh, start us off on that one, Katie? There's not a lot of information out there on Doty, especially any part of his childhood. All I know is that he was born February of 1972, and he went on to attend Marana High School. Pretty much straight out of high school, he began his career as a criminal, committing a burglary in the third degree in March 1991, when he was 19 years old. In Arizona, third degree burglary is when one either enters a non-residential property, such as a junkyard or a vehicle, with the intent to commit theft or another felony. So, like, common breaking into someone's car, that's third-degree burglary? Mm-hmm. A month later, he committed three counts of theft and second-degree burglary after stealing a car, driving to Benson, breaking into a home, losing the keys for the stolen car inside the home, then stealing yet another car. He took the keys into the, other, into the house with him, when he could have just left the keys to the stolen car in the car. Someone might have stolen it. How do you even... Most people don't have keys to a stolen car. I assume it was one of those people, like, tuck their keys under the visor that you see in movies. They left their doors unlocked like idiots. Here's what happened. He's in this unfamiliar house. He just, like, acts like he lives there, so he tosses some keys down on the counter, forgets that he does that, wanders around, can't find them. They're in plain sight where any normal person would put keys. And so he's like, well, taking longer to find them. He's jaking it. Taking... (laughs) taken super long to find it so he just steals another car and tips out it's not a bad plan or he just set both of the keys next to each other on the counter and then wasn't sure which car the keys went to so he just took the other car on accident when he meant to take his stolen car he was sentenced to nine years in prison where things got interesting between 1992 and 1994 he was given seven disciplinary infractions mostly for disobeying orders 1995, he was written up for receiving a tattoo and quote-unquote horseplay, which is apparently something you can be written up for in prison. Hey, there's a sign, no horseplay, boys, not on the tier. <laughs> I just don't know what horseplay would be like. Anything that doesn't involve a shank is horseplay. <laughs> I just imagine going before your parole, people, and they're just like, oh, you got written up for horseplay? We can't let you out. Five more years in prison. Okay, that infraction violates prison policy on releasing you because... Horseplay anywhere can be deadly. Yeah. 1996 started with arson, where he somehow was able to light a towel on fire and throw it out of his cell. He had 13 more write-ups for receiving more tattoos, fighting, and possession of weapons and contraband, the weapon being a three-foot-long knife he made, the contraband being razor blades he tied to a string. How did he make a three-foot-long knife in prison? I don't know. He was in solitary, too. This guy's a genius. Well... Either that or he's got a really stretchy prison wallet. <laughs> Look, aside from that, if you if you notice, okay, he lit a towel on fire, but he's got no matches. Oh, dude, people used to, they used to be able to smoke in prison. 
Hmm. In 95, I think they'd already gotten rid of it. Nah, this is still height of gambling cigarettes and shit. So you're saying he just had a bick? No, what I'm thinking is he probably had to have some way of lighting it, so they take batteries and uh, gum foil, and they hold it on the ends of it, and it will light your cigarette. They're very creative in prison. You have nothing but yeah, you have nothing but time in prison. So where do you get a battery? Who's giving these fuckers batteries? All sorts of things are powered with batteries. Goddamn TV remotes. Yeah, or they like they hotwire heating pads, or they like make their own homemade heating shit, like for cooking and stuff on. It's crazy. I'm surprised more prisons don't burn down. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of fires in prisons we don't know about. They're all made out of brick, yeah. so. What was he doing with the razor blades tied to the strings? Just throw them at people or swing them around like uh... No, it's, it's just uh, like anything else. You want extra razor blades around. Like, oh, wait, they so use they razor don't... blades to tie messages to them and throw them. That could be That's it. Just, they just fish with regular string, though. Oh. It's called fishing. I know what it's called. I've seen prison break or 24 in 60 people in well, it's, 24 I'm, I'm guessing it's for when he doesn't have his uh, three-footer on him, and he's just got to whip something up real quick. And, you know, razor blades aren't, you know, like the strongest thing ever, so you've got to always have a backup around. So when you, you get a fresh one, when you got to go cut the next guy. String just helps him not lose him. In 1997, he received three more tattoos and made two more weapons. And then in 1998, he started controlling himself as his release date was coming up soon. For his entire nine years in prison, he was considered maximum risk and kept in solitary confinement. Despite only being allowed out of his cell an hour a day, he managed to get in many fights and make all of his weapons. He was busy. He was just busy when he was out there. And they thought he was just being constructive, using his mind, bettering himself for when he got out. If you're wondering what kind of tattoos Dodie was receiving from his fellow inmates, they were swastikas and other Nazi symbolism. I'm not sure if Dodie considered himself a white supremacist before he entered prison, but he most certainly was one once he was incarcerated. Like most people who go to prison, Dodie found religion and fully immersed himself in it. Except he didn't find Jesus, he found good old Anton LaVey. I guess some white supremacists find are Jesus thump thumpers too, right? Oh, yeah, but there's a different type of Bible where it's white Jesus who didn't live in the desert and wasn't Jewish. Are you telling me Jesus wasn't white? Actually, no, Nazis are very much wrapped around the occult. They wanted to make their own religion, I believe. Yeah, I just can't see them getting down with what Jesus was saying and still wanting to kill the Jews. I think modern-day white supremacy is based a lot around picking and choosing parts of the Bible that condemn people and not the parts that say... Be a good person. I like stuff that says not to do butt stuff. He began practicing levee and Satanism and used it as his excuse for violent behaviors. Dodie was especially interested in the fact that there really is no one specific way to practice Satanism. You basically follow the tenets in the Satanic Bible and then make the rest up as you go. There's two of the tenets that Dodie chose to ignore. Do no harm and have empathy for others, and if you make a mistake, rectify it. He mostly focused on the third tenet that states that you're subject only your own will. And I want to just mention, this is the second time that we've touched on extremely violent offenders who have chosen to practice Satanism, Pazuzu being the first one. In no way am I saying that every single Satanist out there is a violent murderer. Most are simply people who dislike organized religion and feel that a made-up ghost in the sky shouldn't be telling you how to live your life and what you can and can't do with your body. 
Like I said, the first and one of the most important tenets of Satanism is do no harm, and this includes both humans and animals. The Satanic Temple, one of the most prominent Satanic groups, uses its status as a recognized religion to fight for the rights of its members. It's similar to other organized religions in that just because there's some bad apples who use the religion as an excuse for their awful behavior does not mean that all members are that way. But I digress. Don't they just use the term um, Satanist for any... Basically, didn't we go over that before? It's more like just like atheists? Basically, yeah. It's basically atheism with Satan thrown in for shock value to kind of piss off people in organized religion because that's like Hell, the most, I don't know, anti-agenda thing that you can really re- present yourself as. That's true. That's true. Satan is very anti-agenda. He was not down with the Lord's agenda, so he went down to the ground blound. While in prison, Doty felt that just plain Satanism wasn't cutting it for him. He wanted to create his very own religion where he'd have full control over the beliefs and members. He figured that since he's a Nazi and a Satanist, he would just combine the two things and create Aryan Satanism. That sounds like the worst possible idea ever for religion. This is where things really veered off from Levian Satanism, and Doty began believing in ritual sacrifices and, quote, igniting a race war that would lead to world domination for Jason Doty and his satanic warmock. What is that? It's the United Armed Forces of Nazi Germany. This guy, someone told him he's from Tucson or no? He's, I mean, from Marana. So, yeah, he's fucking from Arizona. He's not from uh, the United Armed Forces (laughs) of Nazi Germany. Doty began collecting a small number of followers one who testified at his trial as being his second-in-command, who said that Doty's followers were, quote-unquote, wolves preying on the weak. What's interesting is that Doty did not specifically attack people of color. He believed that he gained power from shedding the blood of white people who did not share his beliefs. One of the people who began following his newfound Aryan Satanism was Brian William David Sicard, who will be important later in the story. I mean, that's a lot of people he was going to technically have to take out if he was trying to get rid of white people who didn't share his beliefs because his beliefs were pretty fucked and far out there. I wonder what kind of power he gained. Like, he could smell a sail on New Balance shoes. Like, that's the power you get for white people. Salt is a spice. (laughs) Spicy, spicy salt. Tell when another man was cooking from within three miles and say, yeah, you can smell it burning. I'll bet you he could play the acoustic guitar after he would kill a white guy or two. That's true. He, he, the power that he gained was to be able to dance in a line with other people as well. It's not surprising that correctional staff didn't find Doty's new religion as cool and edgy as Doty did. This was especially true because Doty was starting fights, making three-foot weapons, and throwing burning towels out of his cell. Poor Doty felt like the prison staff were infringing on his constitutional right to freedom of religion because they wouldn't let him burn incense, candles, hang up a Baphomet tapestry, and have copies of the Satanic Bible and the Necronomicon. Did they seem to care? I mean, they told him, no, you can't have candles in your fucking cell, you idiot. Similar to telling... Something like that. Similar to telling somebody, like... Um, no, we're not going to give you vegan food in prison, you dumb fuck. Here's the thing, though, is just because you say it's a religion doesn't mean it's a religion. 
doesn't mean that you're afforded all of those rights because it's not. Because otherwise people could just go into prison and say, actually, you can't close my cell. It's against my religion to be put in a room with four walls. Exactly. Well, these days you just need to go to uh, getordained.com, I think. And you can be a pretty legit and official about it. When you get ordained, you get ordained into a church, a recognized yeah, church. Yeah, you have to be recognized by the U.S. government as a religion. Yeah. You know what? The U.S. government doesn't control my religion. Yeah, this sounds like it's time for a second civil war infringing on our religious beliefs. This will be a holy war for the ages. Oh, I just wanted to go to Boston and dump a bunch of tea in the haba. Well, that's how it all starts. He filed a complaint with the district court to stop the Arizona DOC from preventing him from keeping these items in his cell. Of course, the court wrote out each and every reason why Doty was an idiot. About a year after filing his complaint, Doty was released from prison and began his crime spree. He got left, let go, and then he just immediately decided, there's got to be a way to keep people like this in prison, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these days they got, I think they call it, IPS, well, that's what they call it in, in, uh, I think that's what the inmates call it. It's in prison soon. It's like you're like in a halfway house, I think. And if you fuck up, you go right back to prison. That's probably where this guy should have gone, maybe. Maybe not straight back out to the streets. This was kind of back when What's, the war on crime was still happening and reentry programs were like non existent. So. Yeah. And once you've served your full sentence, like, in its entirety, you don't have to be released to a halfway house. You've done your time. You're now a free human being. We don't know exactly what Doty was up to between his release from prison in May 1999 and March 2000. He did keep a notebook where he wrote down poems about violence and his Aryan Satanism, but unfortunately those have never been released to the public in full. From the small snippets that have been released, we know that Doty wanted to spill Caucasian blood on March 20, 2000, the spring equinox, to attain magical powers. To obtain a weapon, he broke into a home of a friend and stole their 22 caliber handgun along with the owner's manual. In the early hours of March 20th, Doty went to Tohono Chul Park, a nature reserve in Tucson. 55-year-old Grady Towers worked as a night security guard at Tohono Chul. Towers absolutely loved his job as it gave him time to write essays, read, and learn new languages. He was a member of Mensa, a high IQ society, along with several others. Unfortunately, while Towers was reading a book and listening to music during his shift on March 20th, he came face to face with Doty. He was shot seven times with Doty's 22 caliber handgun. Then Doty went through his pockets and stole a donation box belonging to the park. I didn't know a guy died there. I've been to that park. I was just about to say, Rory took his mom to that park. Yeah. Me and my friends used to always hang out at that park because it's by the school. And they have an excellent breakfast there. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's like a big one big half of it's like a nature's reserve, and then the other half of it's like, what, they have a gift shop there now? They stuff? have a gift. They have all sorts of gift shop stuff there. I'm not I sure all that was there before. I saw some articles that said that Towers was the gift shop security guard. And some that just said security guard, so I'm not sure exactly what he did, but I assume if he was reading a book, it was the gift shop. Six days after the murder of Grady Towers, Doty committed another murder. There is little known about this one, as police haven't released much information. Jason, who recommended the episode, worked at the EG's involved, but quit shortly before the murder. He texted me back finally today, and he said that he actually knew Doty and Brian Sicard. Because they were friends with 
his manager of the EGs, and they would all get together at night and play poker together. Wow, so he knew this creepy asshole? Yeah, he said that he never, he would wear, like, a leather jacket, and he had really long, disgusting hair, and he, like, basically just wouldn't talk. But he knew him, I guess, personally. Why keep inviting him? He was, so, not Jason Doty. The other Jason was young at the time, so he would go to these poker matches because Nathan would invite all these underage kids that worked at EG's and give them cigarettes and weed and drugs, basically. So it was, like, a cool place to hang out. Sounds like Nathan was a predator. I think he was, like, 21. He wasn't that old. He was just an idiot. And he just was friends with the people that he worked with. Yeah. And he only worked with high school kids. He was trying to be cool. Yeah. At this time, Dodie was still good friends with Brian Sicard, who I mentioned earlier was a follower of Dodie's while they were in prison together. Sicard was friends with Nathan Lohman, one of the managers at the EGs in March 2000. So he was a younger guy. And then Brian Sicard and Jason Dodie were the murderers. It's believed that the three eventually all met and planned a robbery of that EGs together. Because Nathan was a manager, he had keys to the door, but not to the safe. Nathan was aware that Robin Hay, also a manager at the store, did have keys to the safe. With this information, Nathan most likely either gave his key to the door to Dodie and Sicard, or made a copy for them. And Jason said that, I guess Nathan had a pretty bad drinking problem at this time, so it's possible that he was not involved and they just stole the key and made a copy of it, but I don't know how they would know exactly which key to make a copy of. Yeah. I'm not, like, implicating him, but... It's fishy. Could have been the key that just said, like, EG's do not duplicate. Backdoor. (laughs) Yeah. EG's backdoor. Shortly before 6 a.m. on March 26, 2000, Robin Hay was inside the EG's counting money and preparing for the day. Sometime between 5.53 and 6.04 a.m., Dodie and Sicard entered the building through the back door. We don't know if the intention was to simply rob Hay or if they went there planning to kill her. Whatever the case may be, Robin Hay was stabbed to death, her neck so severely that she was almost decapitated. Her body was found when a delivery driver showed up later that morning and noticed the back door had been left open. Was there any murder weapon around or any... No, the only thing they found was a bullet casing on the ground from a twenty-two that had not actually been fired, so... Investigators weren't sure if they went there intending to shoot her and the gun jammed, and that was from them unjamming it, or if they went there with a knife and meant to stab her. But I assume it was to shoot her because the gun was supposedly what gave him his powers. Yeah, I could see maybe uh, this being a situation where he didn't, Dodie got in on the robbery idea with uh, Sicard, but maybe didn't let him know that. He was planning to, you know, capture some more white people power that I mean, night. Sicard was aware of Dodie's quote-unquote religion and knew kind of how violent he was, I'm pretty sure. And that, I mean, I'm sure Jason Dodie bragged to him about killing someone with his magical gun. Well, how did he know that Robin Hay wasn't a white supremacist, too? Well, it wouldn't have mattered because that's where he gets his power. No, he gets his power from... Whites that don't believe the same as him. Mm. I'm sure Nathan, who worked with her, was able to tell them that she was not a Nazi. It's like, yeah, she, she was a very Dixie chicks. She was a very nice woman. She was definitely not a Nazi, and I think that was pretty obvious from just looking at her. 
I just think it's weird to single out uh, an EG's manager. Just as it's senseless. easy. They have keys to get in. They know where the money is. They know she can give them the money. They got like seven hundred dollars. So get the money. What are you killing someone for seven hundred dollars for? I just don't get it. You're there. You're already robbing her. She's not gonna snitch on you if she's dead. Yeah. What if she knows them as well? Exactly. Oh, she probably did know them. That's a good point. This is where things get a little confusing, as I'm not exactly sure what led up to these next events. On April 1st, 2000, it's alleged that Dodie broke into a home in Picture Rocks with a friend named Joseph McDowell. The 13-year-old who witnessed the break-in originally said that he saw McDowell hit his father over the head and knock him out, and saw him walking through the home with a rifle. Several weapons, including a grenade launcher, were stolen from the home. And no, I don't know why this man had a grenade launcher <laughs> in Picture Rocks. Picture Rocks is basically meth central. You so. don't need a grenade launcher in any part of but southern Arizona. If you happen to be a meth head who has money, you can buy a grenade launcher in Arizona. And you don't trust your other meth head neighbors. I don't also, think this guy was a meth head. Um, it's picture rocks, you know, but also, um, Marana high school is like as far out on the edge of Marana as you can get. It's right next to picture rocks. So once the father awoke, he found a 22 caliber handgun that had been dropped by one of the men inside the home. He took it to a neighbor who recognized it as Dodie's because of the Aryan pictographs carved onto the barrel as Dodie had tried selling him the gun a few days earlier. Later, the 13-year-old witness who implicated both men completely retracted his statement and said that he could not remember anything about the robbery, so it's difficult to say if it's legitimate. Sounds like someone just leaned on the 13-year-old kid a little bit. Yeah, because when they started trying to prosecute this, the father had actually died. So they had no, and he was knocked out the whole time, so they really had no way of getting his statement, especially regarding the gun that he himself took to the neighbor and asked who it belonged to. But it's just such a weird coincidence that he, it's such a weird coincidence that Dodie tried selling the gun to the neighbor and then dropped it in the other neighbor's house. Right. And then that neighbor recognized it because he's carved a bunch of Aryan bullshit into it. <laughs> this just shows you how dumb Dodie is. Like, Basically. He's just a big, dumb dummy. It only gets more confusing from here. From newspaper articles, all I was able to find was that on April 9th, 2000, Dodie was driving a car with Joseph McDowell in the passenger seat. At some point, police attempted to pull the car over. I'm not sure if it was stolen, or if at this point they knew Dodie was responsible for Tower's murder and were after him, or if it was for the alleged robbery. There were a lot of reasons that they could have been after him at this point. Dodie did not stop the car for police, and a pursuit began. It eventually ended when Dodie crashed the car, killing Joseph McDowell. He was able to escape the car and flee, and was not caught by police. Damn. That's a lucky break there. How the fuck did he get away on foot? He ran into the desert. He had just absorbed a whole bunch of powers. He just killed another one. I don't know if he would have to intentionally kill them, or if an accident was good I mean, enough. If he just sucked the powers right out of poor McDowell as they crashed. It seemed to be pretty much good enough, because, I mean... He knew exactly where he was in the desert, and he didn't even have a compass on him. I mean, okay, we're in a valley. It's pretty easy to know which mountain you're looking at and which direction you're going. In the dark? I mean, yeah. Mount Lemon <laughs> has lights on top of it. You at least know where north is. I guess that's true. I think maybe he just told him, like, all right, we're going to bail out of the car. Take your seatbelt off. And then he just slammed <laughs> into a fucking post. So he did do it on purpose. I guess that's possible. 
Two weeks later, Doty turned himself in. He was charged with the first-degree murder of Joseph McDowell, flight from law enforcement, and leaving the scene of an accident involving a death. Inside the glove compartment was the owner's manual for the 22 caliber handgun that Doty had taken along with the gun when he stole it. So they gave him first degree for Joseph McDowell. Is that how they come to that? So basically, when you flee from law enforcement, you are aware of the danger. And being aware of the danger and the fact that a death can occur if you get in an accident is enough to prove premeditation. You oh. would not run from police if you did not want to have somebody die. Yeah, I think it's any time it's like death and commission of a felony. If if you're doing a felony and someone dies, yeah. Yeah, that would that's felony murder. Oh. Um, I don't know if we have felony murder. I'm pretty sure we have it in Arizona. So this is death with premeditation. So anytime you run from police and you get in an accident and somebody dies, you're that's first degree murder. Damn. Okay. Don't run from police. Doty was sentenced to life for the death of McDowell. Eventually, police were able to link Doty to the death of Grady Towers. Ballistics showed that Doty's handgun was the one used to shoot Towers, and boot prints left at the scene were also linked to a pair of shoes owned by Doty. His notebook also had a poem titled Equinox M.M. that was basically a written confession to the Towers murder. One of the lines released read, quote, Behold, the terror in his eyes, the lamb is thrust into the jaws of the wolf, screaming in pain, taken with force, excitement of killing a hunter by course. What a fucking nerd. Your poems so, suck, bro. So literal. Yeah. He's such a genius. Yeah, there's nothing there. There's no subtext. There's nothing. Like, but if you remember earlier, the guy that was his quote-unquote second-in-command said that Doty described them as wolves hunting the weak. Yeah. So this is him, like, tying all that in together. I don't know. Yeah, that's why there's no no real subtext to it. Like, if you have to tell people, I'm a wolf. We are wolves. We we hunt the weak. I write poems about it. (laughs) (laughs) Wolves don't write poems. After a four-day trial and five hours of deliberation, Doty was found guilty for the murder of Towers and was given another life sentence. The police were also able to link Doty and Sakar to the murder of Robin Hay. Video surveillance from a Walgreens across the street from the EGs showed two men wearing dark clothing outside at 527, not long before Hay was murdered. They were also spotted by two newspaper hawkers who kept a close eye on the men, believing that they were going to steal the spot where they set up their paper stands. And there's a lot of paper hawkers, especially back then, because they could all live, like, there's a big old wash, I think it's the Rito wash that runs through that whole area, and they all lived under all the overpasses. Me and my friend Zach, who we talked about in episode one of this podcast, one time helped a homeless person who lived in that wash. She fell down a the large concrete embankment and broke her arm. Maybe it was her leg. I don't remember. Either way. And we had to fucking carry this lady back to her hobo, back to her camp, and her dog was trying to attack us the whole time. Why didn't you call 911? I think we did after that. But we still, like, she was, oh, no, she wouldn't, she didn't let us call 911. She was like, no, no, I'm fine. And she literally either had a dislocated or broken leg, as I recall. Because she had an arm over each of our shoulders. And so we, you <laughs> drug a homeless woman to her death spot. That's great, Jake. Anyways, the newspaper hawkers said that they lost sight of the two men behind the EGs. 
Remember, they had a key to the back door. Apparently, Brian Sicard also had a limp that was easily identifiable through the video footage. On the floor, near where Hayes' body was lying, investigators also found that shell casing that matched the 22 caliber handgun that was used to kill Grady Towers. Of course, Doty also wrote in his notebook about Hayes' murder, saying, quote, Shocked eyes, wild with disbelief, can't understand as you're choking on your breath. Thus it comes, a merciless lie at the end of life. Thus it comes, a merciless lie to the end of life. My blade drinking death. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking emo song from the same era. It does. Shocked eyes, why believe? Actually, that's not what it'd be. How would it go, Jake? You used to be in one of those bands. <laughs> I'm not sure. I just know the end of it would be like, My blade drinking death! Brian Sicard was arrested for theft and possession of narcotics, but before police were able to question him, he bonded out of jail. Unfortunately, prosecutors were forced to drop the first-degree murder charges for Robin Hayes' murder due to lack of evidence. Although they are sure they know who committed the crime, they have never been able to prosecute anyone, and it's still technically unsolved. Brian Sicard, who is most likely a killer, is out of prison and a free man. Jason Doty, after spending a year in prison for both murders, was diagnosed with lymphoma. He died on October 13, 2003. He got the easy way out. Extremely. Yeah, lymphoma. That's a quick killer. Apparently. Man. And he spent most of that time at St. Joe's, which I guess is, like, not as easy as it could have been. It's not the best hospital, but... I, I think that it's pretty possible that he could have lived longer, but they just didn't bother because he wouldn't shut the fuck up about his stupid poetry and his fucking white brotherhood. And they were like, you know what? He's like, what's that? Chemo? They're like, yeah. And they're just fucking putting some saline into his fucking... I guess it's possible. But yeah, so he's dead. He served basically no time for two murders and a whole lot of other shit he did. I guess it's possible. There's been no arrest made in Robin Hayes' murder. No, they originally had Sicard and Doty. They had at least Doty charged, and then they had to drop the charges, and they've never been able to refile anything because they just don't have the evidence to take it to trial. Did you look up Brian Sicard on Facebook? I was I just didn't, thinking no. about it. Did I you? looked him up on the on our DOC inmate search. Is that going to do it for us this week, Katie? That is all, yes. All right, guys. Well, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast on Twitter at fourcornerscast and at fourcornerscrimecast.tumblr.com. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a full episode list, or mostly full episode list, or to send us ideas for an episode you guys want to hear, or you can go over to our merch store, type in Bingo Bango after you put a sticker in your cart. Then we'll send you the sticker for free. Just like that. So use that code, Bingo Bango gets you that free sticker we'll cover the shipping don't you worry your pretty little heads anyways thank you jason yeah thanks jason fun thanks jason i love your deli not jason doty 
He's a piece of shit. Yeah, other Jason. Other Jason. Southwest Kratom. Go there, get your Kratom. Get your Kratom. For All right, guys. All your Kratom needs. Talk to you next week. See ya. Adios, lovers. Hey, he put it on some stilts and he could be six foot tall.